0: All right, John chapter 6. Go in your paper Bibles to John chapter 6. Or look on the screen. That phone has been crucified with Christ, according to Lori. That was great. That was good. Hey, hey, I'm an advocate for paper Bibles over digital Bibles. I, I personally, for me... I know myself well enough to know how distracted I become with technology. I'm grateful for technology, but it will also suck half a day out of my soul if I if I'm not careful with it. So I'm all about paper Bibles. I like to write in them. I like to mark them up. I like to make them my own. And um, and so yeah, if you don't have a paper Bible, Holly will get you one before you leave today, out of my office probably because <laughs> I've got about 40. So you can't have one of those though. You can you have to get your own. Um, Everybody, John, chapter six. Yeah. Everybody else getting there. Hey, as you're getting there, uh, we'll be we'll start in verse thirty-two. But I just want to tell you, if you know, for those of you who are relatively new, you may be hearing this for the first time. For those of you who are consistently part of our congregation, maybe you need to rehear this. But we have one goal at our church, as and I have one goal as a pastor. And that is to make sure that you know that you were loved and highly valued. Um, I think too many of us operate under the assumption that God is frustrated with us. That we've let him down. That we have, you know, that we have disappointed him. And that's not to say that there aren't times when the Lord will intervene in our life and say, Hey, you're going this way, but you need to be going this way. And he doesn't do that because he's angry or because he's disappointed. He does it because he's good. And God wants better for your life than you even want for your life. But today, I hope that you will be reminded that no matter what you brought into this room with you, no matter what thoughts, no matter what actions, no matter what memories, that you will know that you know that you know that the Lord is not mad at you. If anything, He is mad for you. He is in a desperate pursuit after your soul. God so loved the world that He sent. He initiated that. God didn't love the world so much that mankind started begging for a savior and he finally gave in. No, he loved the world so much that he initiated when he sent his son Jesus into this world that whosoever would believe upon him would not perish but have everlasting life. And the beautiful thing about that everlasting life is it doesn't happen the day you die. It does happen the day you die to yourself and come alive to him. So, new life begins now. Everybody at John chapter 6? alright yeah. All right, all three of you, great. Jesus said, I will tell you the truth. I'm, I'm, y'all gonna have to help me preach now. I'm, I'm already, I'm seeing, seeing how we're going. We gotta, we gotta work on it. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Moses did not give you bread from heaven, my father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. Everybody say, every day. Every day. I want that bread every day. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. This is the first of the seven I am statements that Jesus will make throughout the gospel of John. He said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Now, in your Bible, if you were to flip back a page or to look up a few verses, you would see that this is about 24 hours after Jesus fed the 5,000. when. The disciples are gathered and they come to Jesus and they say, hey, we've got all these people here. The, the Bible tells us, Max, it was 5,000 people, not including women and children. So conservatively, we can estimate it was around 15,000 people. On the high end, somewhere to possibly 25,000 individuals were gathered to hear Jesus preach and teach and to receive of his ministry. The disciples come to Jesus and one of them says to Jesus, hey, we've got to send these folks home. We ain't got no food for ourselves, much less food for these people. And Jesus says to his disciples, will you feed them? And then Andrew says, all I've got is this, I, you know, I'll beat it to this little kid and I took his lunch from him. I mean, that's not exactly what it says, but it's how I read it. And he says, he's just got some fish and some bread. Jesus says, great, that's all we need. That's all we need. Because when you give Jesus what you, what you have, Jesus will give you what you don't have. But that's another sermon for another day. Jesus says, here, take it, go give it away. And so he distributes it to his 12 disciples. The disciples then distribute it to those 15 to 25,000 people. And Before you know it, everybody has has eaten. And John is specific enough to say that everyone had eaten until they were full. In this era, 2,000 years ago, people primarily, if they were lucky, could eat about two meals a day. And they would eat in the neighborhood of 4,000 calories a day. They would burn between 4,500 and 5,000 calories a day, though, because, you know, they didn't have any, you know, cars or anything like that to get around. They walked everywhere. They had to do manual labor. And and so what essentially is happening here, as we, as we read, is they're coming to Jesus. They have found him a day later, and they've basically said, hey, we hunger again. You got, you got any more that bread and fish? That was some good stuff. I mean, like, that was, you know, it was bread and fish, but it was good. That little cajun f- flavor on it you know little cornmeal breading that's how that's how that's the only way i eat fish when it's been breaded and cornmeal and deep fried like i don't want your salmon i don't want your tuna i want catfish that's been fried I, it's not healthy anymore right that's the only fish oil i'm interested in is the peanut oil you cook it in <laughs> i feel the lord in that and and they come up to jesus and they say hey we're hungry and jesus said said you're caring too much about things that don't matter. You're too focused on things that don't last because actually more than likely many of these people done got rid of what they ate yesterday. You know what I'm saying? You smell what I'm stepping in? Okay. Because it was that. You're too worried about things that don't last And, and, and something that you also need to be aware of it's a popular belief that they held during this time is that just like Moses delivered the people from Egypt and manna began to fall from heaven. Manna is how the Lord fed the children of Israel in the wilderness, that the Messiah would come and he would be delivering them now from the Romans and that, again, the manna would, would begin to fall. And the manna, in fact, was falling. It just didn't look like what they thought it was going to look like because Jesus was the manna in the wilderness. Jesus was and is The bread of life. So with all that in mind, Jesus said to them, I'll read it again. i tell you the truth. Moses, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, give us that bread every day. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the manna. Jesus is essentially saying, I don't just provide, I am the provision. He said, Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I, I feel I feel I didn't say this first service, but I feel like for someone in the room today needs to understand that you've been you've been chasing the hand of God and missing out and falling short. And the reason why is because you haven't been pursuing the face of God. You see, He is not, he's not our provider. I know that almost sounds heretical to say it like that. He's not, though. He is our provision. You see, I don't have a need that is not met in Him. And, and I'm, not, I'm not just saying that I don't have a need that He can't meet. No, I'm saying that I don't have a need that is not met in Him. Whatever it is that I need, He's the source. He's not the source that's going to give me what I need. No, He is the source. He's the manna in the wilderness. Let's pray. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would help me, God, to set aside preferences and personality for the sake of clarity of communication of your word today. God, help me not just to try to repeat what I said in first service, but Father, help me to stay sensitive to the Holy Spirit, to be led by you to speak what you would have me to say for this service, for this time, and for these people, and even for myself, Lord. Jesus, that you would be present in this place, that you would minister, that you would move, that you would change hearts and lives, that you would restore and redeem, and that you would do what only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on. Can we celebrate the Lord one more time? Yeah. I feel, I feel, I really do feel the presence of the Holy Spirit in a special way. I think, I think today's going to be a big day for somebody in this place. In January of this year, which is crazy because like we said earlier, it's almost May, guys. And it's going to be winter again tomorrow. I'm not, I'm not happy about that, but whatever. In January this year, I preached a sermon series called Rhythms. And when I preach sermons, including this sermon, as I prepare, whether it be the week before or sometimes I will be further in advance and preparing, be preparing a few weeks in advance for messages, I, I preach very much uh, what is, is the Lord is doing in me. It's very difficult for me just to preach a sermon because it's a good sermon or because It's a, you know, the points are there or whatever. I have to internalize it for myself. I kind of think of it like this. Like I kind of, and this is a little gross, but, you know, that's how I roll anyway. I kind of think of it like this. You know, if I'm preparing the week of, you know, I'm kind of eating on it all week. And then on Sunday morning, I just get up here and regurgitate to you what I've received all week. And I know that's weird and that's strange. But if I'm being honest with you, that's pretty much how it is. And one of the messages I preached in January in that series called Rhythms uh, dealt with stewardship. Now, when we use the word stewardship specifically in church, there is one word that almost always comes to mind above any other words that we could be stewards of. And that word is Money. money. Whoever said time, you're just trying to mess me up. You knew better than that time. Although, however, when, when, when I preached that message, I very much tried to make sure that I communicated that the Lord has called us to be good stewards of everything that he's given us, which would include money, which would include time, energy, right? Our families, our jobs. And one of the things that I included in there, because to be honest with you, it became a, a focal point that the Holy Spirit brought to my attention the week that I prepared that message was my body and and I know oh mm -mm, no we're not doing that why would you say that and and so uh since January well short story is the Lord really convicted me that I wasn't taking care of my body the way I needed to uh had gained some weight over the last few years and uh and, and you know that's the that's kind of been the trend for a lot of Americans since 2020 and I uh, started to notice it in, in different areas of my life. And my father passed away when I was a teenager because he didn't take care of his body. And, and I just felt the Holy Spirit, you know, prick my heart and say, you know, this, this is not what you want for your children. You didn't enjoy going through that experience, and as far as you can help it, uh, are you going to do what you need to do to make sure that your children don't go through that experience? Also, my energy levels were low. All all that to say, since January, because of the, honestly, just the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and remember, conviction's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's It's a symptom of God's love, not His judgment. And, and I've lost 20, a little over 20 pounds since uh, about the second week in January. And I, um, I have one person to thank for that. And that is my amazing, wonderful, beautiful rock star wife. Yeah. She wakes me up every morning and says, "Don't put that, put that cheesecake down for breakfast. Right. And then she makes me go to the gym. No, no, that's not exactly what happens. So, so you know, I've learned that if you want to lose weight, The only way you can do it, it's it's actually very simple, uh, but it's also extraordinarily difficult, is you have to eat less and move more. It is as easy and as hard as that. And, you know, people have asked me, like, what are you doing? What are you taking? I'm like, I'm just... Trying to eat less and move more, right? Are you doing low carb? Like, no, I'm doing, I'm just trying to eat less. I'm not doing, I'm not, no pills, none of that kind of stuff. And, and so my, my amazing wife, what she does for me every Sunday since, since January is she plans every meal out. I'm talking breakfast, lunch, and dinner for the entire week for me and for her as well. And so that way I know what's coming. I know where it fits into my calorie counter app. And so I know what I can eat, what I can't eat. Like there might be some days, you know what, I can have some Sour Patch Kids on those days because I know we got grilled chicken for dinner, right? So I, I I could eat me some Sour Patch Kids that day. But then, you know, on, on days when we got like steak or something like that, I'm like, all right, no Sour Patch Kids today, you know. No Dove chocolates for me this afternoon after lunch. And so she's doing that for me. And, and you know, I go to the gym and, you and, know, and, and, she doesn't really help me with that, but, um, but all that to say, I, um, one of the things that she will always ask me when she is preparing my meal calendar is, what do you want to eat this week? And what do I almost always say? I don't know. Yeah, she loves it. It's her favorite. You can tell from the scorn in her voice. I go, I don't know. And she, she'll say, well, you got to eat it. You need to tell me what you want. And, and, I'll, and I'll say something like this. It's like, oh, you just decide for me. You just make, you just do it for me. And then she will. And then Tuesday when we're having, you know, grilled chicken and broccoli and I'll be like, I don't want to eat this. And then she throws the plate at me and tells me to make, that's not, that doesn't happen. It, she wants it to happen, but it doesn't happen like that. Um, and so, you know, I was thinking about, I was thinking about that all to say there's a lot of I don't know moments that I go through in any given day. Uh, you know, and the longer the time goes, there's more I don't know moments. I mean, many of you, as you leave church today, you're going to look at your spouse or significant other or friend and say, Hey, where do you want to go eat at? And they're going to say, I don't know. What you, you know, I don't know. I don't know. We've got too many options, right? What do you want to watch on Netflix? I don't know. There's only 10 billion things to pick from. And then you spend an hour deciding what to watch, only to watch it for 15 minutes and then to fall asleep, Right. You know, what do you want to do this weekend? I, I don't know. And if you ask me, what'd you do last weekend? I don't know. I don't know. Let me check my calendar. I can't remember yesterday, right? I can remember when I was two years old, but I can't remember two days ago, right? I don't know. And maybe today in this room or online, you've got some I don't knows that you are facing in your life. And, and just perhaps they might be a little more significant than what you're going to have for lunch or what you're going to do this weekend or what you're going to wear tomorrow to work, Maybe you're raising kids in the culture that we are facing in 2023, where things are just becoming out of hand politically, culturally, economically, socially. And you would say, I don't know how we're going to do it. I don't know how we're going to make it. I don't know how we're going to help our children to maintain and to live a godly life in this godless world. Is that too strong? Yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're starting a new job. Has anybody ever applied for a job and done a really good job at convincing the person via a resume or an interview that you know what you're doing? Only to start that job and go, I don't know how to do this. <laughs> I'm doing it right now, guys, like for real. <laughs> you're thinking about the future, retirement, savings, college funds. I don't know what I don't knows you might be facing right now. Maybe something in your family, maybe something in your marriage, maybe something that I can't even imagine because it's so specific to your situation. And the situation that Jesus is referencing here in John chapter 6 is actually referencing another situation that happened hundreds of years earlier when Moses was leading the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. When they were as well facing many I don't know situations. And and so this this is in Exodus 16 verse 1. The whole community of Israel set out from Elam and journeyed into the wilderness of sin. Now, sin here in the Bible is not, you know, the bad thing that you do, right? Sin is a location on Mount. Uh, they were journeyed into the wilderness of sin between Elam and Mount Sinai. They arrived there on the 15th day of the second month, one month after leaving the land of Egypt. How long after they left the land of Egypt was it, Shekiah? It was one month. Okay, everybody say one month. One month. There, too, the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. That's that's bad right there. They said, If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. But now you have brought us into the wilderness to starve us all to death. Now, This sounds crazy and it kind of is, but you have to understand this really happened and these are real people. And so they are, they have spent 400 years in the land of Egypt as slaves. Moses comes to Pharaoh and he says, you know, God says, let my people go. And they have the plagues and they have all the different things. And we'll talk about that just a little bit more in a moment. And a month later, they're out there and they go to Moses and they go to Aaron essentially. And they're like, Hey, real good job getting us, getting us out of Egypt, but uh, there's about six million of us, and we're in the middle of nowhere. There's no 7-Elevens. There's no Bojangles. There's no Outbacks. Uh, there's no Calhouns, right? There, there, there's, there's, no, there's no Food City. Uh, we're hungry. What was your plan? How are you going to feed us once you got us out here? If you ever started a job, or a task maybe maybe you wanted to remodel something in your home or maybe you wanted to fix something only to tear it apart and then and then in the middle of that mess go i don't know what i'm doing come on i can't be the only one that's made that mistake before right well you gotta you gotta imagine moses and aaron are looking around saying well we got them out but now what do we do with them and so the the people start to complain about moses and aaron saying you know what It would have been better for us to stay slaves where we had free food than to be free where we don't feel like we've got any food. It's a lot of us, we look back at the past that we know and we actually feel better about it even though we had not come to the Lord yet because we like the devil we know better than the one we don't sometimes. Six million people. What are we going to do? I want to say this to someone today. If you are in a hard season right now. Man, this this might be this just might be for you today. If you are in a hard season right now. Stay faithful. Stay hopeful. Better is coming. Better is on the way. Now, listen to me. Better does not always mean easier. I think any parent in the room would say, having a baby and bringing them home, ain't nothing easy about that. I mean, where are you at, parents? The grandparents have already forgotten because they just get to enjoy grandkids and then give them back and move on, right? But all the moms and dads with kids still at the house, you know that, that having kids doesn't make life easier. But come on, it makes it a lot better. Can I tell you, following Jesus will not make your life easier. That's a, that's a lie that too many, too many pastors and preachers with good intentions have presented, that if you will give your life to God, everything's going to get better for you. Everything's going to get easier for you. All the problems that you're facing right now, they're just going to go away because you're just going to pray. You're just going to trust the Lord. It's all And, and there's the, the, why that's such a dangerous lie is because there's actually a little bit of truth hidden in it. Because following Jesus, while it doesn't make your life easier, it absolutely makes your life better. And so, better is on the way, and better is coming. And the people of Egypt, they wanted to go back where where the, where the food was free, but they weren't. Verse four: Moses or the Lord said to Moses, "Look, I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you." My gosh, how would you like it if you had a need and you just walked out your front door one day, and there the solution was? Like your alternator and your car goes out and you walk out and there's just a brand new alternator sitting in your driveway. Ready for you to put in, right? That's the hard part. That's the hard part. Yeah, put it in, Lord. I'm going to open the hood and you just rain it on in there, Jesus. Yeah, right? Come on, come on. You're, you're, you're coming up short on some, on some finances and you walk out and in your front yard. There's just a big old bag of cash sitting right there. Like, like I mean, I don't care who robbed the bank and left it, but I'm just going to take it and praise the Lord for it. Amen? Come on, you walk out in your front yard, and you've been, you've been dealing with situations where you don't know what to do. Like you're, 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 You've got to make decisions. You've got to have conversations. You've got to have solutions, and, and you don't know what to do because you don't feel like you have the wisdom. You don't feel like you have the information that you need, and you just walk out, and there's just a big old bucket of wisdom. All you got to do is pour it on your head, and you got all the wisdom you need, right? That would be nice, right? Come on, say it with me. Lord, do it again. Come on, Lord, do it again. Yeah, the Lord said, I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you. The people need food. Guess what? I'm going to give them food. Each day, the people can go out and pick up as much as they, as they need for the day. He says, I will test them in this to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. There's something that, that we often forget. Because the older we get, the, the easier it is to forget what it's like to be a child. You know, Jesus said, the only way we can inherit the kingdom is if we have childlike faith. And, and, and I think part of that is just to, to remind us that we are our Father's responsibility. You see, when my kids are hungry, it's been 30 minutes since they've had their last meal. Can I get a witness in the house today? When my kids get hungry, they don't, they don't leave the house and walk to Chick-fil-A to go get food you know when, when, when my kids get hungry they don't say hey I gotta go get a job so I can you know, earn some money so I can go buy some groceries so I can have some food to eat you know what my kids do when they get hungry they go to the kitchen because they got a mama and a daddy that loves them and cares for them and buys all the junk that they want right most of it anyway at least the mama that buys it daddy wouldn't buy it that's true though and if they don't go to the kitchen, you know what else they'll do? It's, this is actually what they always do, now that I think about it. Mommy, Mommy, I'm hungry. If they say, Daddy, I'm hungry, I say, ask your mother. Go tell your mother. I don't care. Right? Go tell Mommy. Right? And then Kristen will make them a, a, an incredible plate for, of food, and then they won't touch any of it, and, and they'll just ask for some more goldfish or something like that. Right. Yeah. Right. You see, see, we, we forget that we are our father's children, and when we have a need, we the, the first place we need to turn to is not to what we think we can do to meet our need, but rather the first thing that we need to do is turn to the one who doesn't just meet our need, but is the need meter, right? He it, He it, He's not the, my provider. He is my provision, and, and so... Whatever you need today, whether you need wisdom, whether you need encouragement, whether you need joy, whether you need help financially, whether you need help relationally, whatever it is that you need, He sees you, He's got you, and He's going to provide for you if you will trust Him, if you will stay close to Him. Come on, can we give the Lord praise for that? I want to tell you, your Father is faithful, He is able, He's willing, He's prepared, and He loves you. He's never been caught by surprise. Paul says this in Philippians 4. He says, the same God. Who takes care of me will supply all of your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Come on, the same God who provided for Moses. The same God who provided the manna for the children of Israel in Egypt. The same God, Paul says, who's been providing for me. The same God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And even today on April 30th, 2023, whatever the need you've got, the Lord says, I've got you. Verse 17, going back to Exodus. So the people of Israel did as they were told. Some gathered a lot, some only a little. But when they measured it out, everyone had just enough. Those who gathered a lot had nothing left over, and those who gathered only a little had enough. Each family had just what it needed. It's interesting, though, because... God God was the source, right? God was the provider. God gave them the manna, but they still had to go get it. Let me say it like this. God's provision doesn't replace my effort. I think for many of you, many of us, the Lord has things in store for you. Like He wants things for you. And if I can be so bold as to say that the only thing keeping you from having all that God has for you, this is from a place of love, not anger. I'm not upset about it. You should be upset about it. But, But a lot of you miss out on all that the Lord has for you because you've allowed a spirit of laziness and apathy to control you and to hold you back. Because ultimately the Lord is trying to get good to you more than you want to get good for you. Can, can I say it like this? The Lord loves you and wants good for you more than you love yourself and want good for yourself. How many parents in the room would say, I want my kids to have it better than I had it? Right, like how many of you would say, I want, I want nothing but the best for my kids. I want my kids to, to you know, I, I, I want to give them everything, not just that they want, but everything that they need. God's provision, however, does not replace my effort. For the Israelites, the Lord rained down the manna, but they still had to do the work of gathering what he had given. They still had to do the work of going outside and doing the labor, doing the work, doing the job of gathering what the Lord had provided. And many of us today, we are just waiting and just watching and thinking that the Lord's just gonna stick it in our mouth, right? Just he's gonna rain down manna from heaven. Or, or if we're talking about an alternator, that he's just gonna put it in there, or if we're talking about bills that we got to pay, you know, Lord, help me get out of debt. Well, when have you made a budget? Lord, help me lose weight. Well, you need to ask Kristen to plan your meals for you, right? Lord, Lord, I want to be closer to you. When's the last time you picked up the Bible and read it? Oh, I don't understand that. Can you just stop with the excuses? Can we just become a no excuse people? Like, oh, I wanted to be at church, but you know, it's just been a hard week. My God, it's been a hard week for everybody. I don't know a single person over the age of 18 that wouldn't say, yeah, it's been a tough week. I can't remember the last time I have had a week that I didn't think, oh, that was such an easy week. That was like, I I got all the sleep I needed, right? I mean, my Lord, come on, at some point or another, you've got to just make up your mind. Come hell or high water, I'm going to do the work. Come hell or high water, I'm going to do what I've got to do to get what he's trying to give me. And you know why the Lord will not trust you. This, this side of the room is all in. Over here, you guys need to get saved a little bit. My wife's over here. i got to be careful. I'll take that back. The Lord will not give you the blessings that he wants to give you if you won't do the work that it takes to receive them because he knows that if he just gives you something that you haven't worked for, you won't steward it well. You'll squander it. You'll waste it. And it might even cause you more harm than good. Because you won't be ready for it. Because you haven't done the work for it. Listen, I know this is not like popular, like what I'm saying right now. And those of you who are giving me amens, you probably think like, oh, somebody else needs to hear this. But listen, your boy right here needs to hear this too. We all need to hear this, right? At some point, you've got to make up your mind. I am going to do what I can do so that I can receive from him what only he can do. And the Israelites, they had to go gather. So God's provision does not replace my effort. But here's some good news for you. God's provision does replace my security. And they learned, listen, listen, I might do the work to gather, but ultimately the Lord is my source. Listen, uh, your employer... That paycheck, that's not your source. That's a conduit that the Lord uses to provide for you. But at the end of the day, it's nothing more than a way he gets the blessing to you. He is still the source, right? Your skill, your hard work, it's not a source. It's just conduits. God's provision doesn't replace my effort, but it does replace my security. Verse 19. You guys okay? Verse 19. Then the Then Moses told them, don't keep any of it until morning. Talking about the man, don't keep any of it until morning. But some of them didn't listen. Can we just just stop right here and take a break and, and ask ourselves, like look back over your life, analyze it for a moment, ask yourself how much better your life would be if you always did the thing that you knew you should have done. Like if you ever bought something and you know, like I shouldn't buy this, but I want it. And then later on you're like, man, I really shouldn't have bought that. Right, right? Uh, uh, talk, going back to the, the, the calorie thing, because this, this I resonate with this. Like, we go to Chick-fil-A. Listen, guys, I'm not a really big fan of Chick-fil-A. I know that's kind of simple to say in the house of the Lord, talking about the Lord's chicken like that. <laughs> I, I know, over, she's like, Daddy, we got to find a new church. <laughs> look, she, look at this kid. Look at that. I have broken her heart. We go Chick-fil-A and I, you know, I get a, a salad, right? And I think, oh, I've been good. I've been good this week. I'm gonna give me a milkshake. I go up there, I want me a large cookies and cream milkshake. And I eat that thing. I mean, and it it's nothing but joy. But then 30 minutes afterwards, what have I done? Lord, please forgive me for I have sinned. God, my lactose intolerant self is repented upon you. Lord. How much better would your life be if you did the thing that you know you should do, that you know that he wants you to do? Anyway, Moses told them, don't keep any of it till morning. But some of them did not listen and kept some of it until morning. But by then, it was full of maggots and had a terrible smell. And it was, it was in the south. We say it was rent. Yeah. right? It, it wasn't ruined. It was rent. Moses was very angry with them. Here, here's you a mini sermon in the sermon. You can't live off of yesterday's bread. You can't live off of yesterday's blessing. You can't live off of yesterday's miracle. You can't live off of last week's sermon. You better get in the word on Monday for yourself. Come on, you need something. His mercies are new every morning, right? I need, I need fresh bread from him every day. So why did they save the manna? They're like, what, what, what prompted them to hold on to the thing that God had given them? Even though Moses, through, uh, via the Lord, had said, listen, uh, go gather what you need, but don't keep any of it. One word. Fear. What if the God who provided for me today does not again provide for me tomorrow? How, how, long, how long had they been in the wilderness? I say it real loud. One month. There you go, girl. You got it. I scared her first service. How many of you have ever thought to yourself, if, if God will just show me a miracle, my faith will be stronger than it's ever been and I can fully trust him, and know, come on, maybe you've never said it, but like, have you ever thought to yourself, like, God, if you would just do something abnormal, and I can know that it was you, then my faith will be stronger, then I will believe, then I will trust. Well, just one month prior to this, they're in the land of Egypt, right? And God, through Moses, uh, says to Pharaoh, let my people go, and Moses refuses, and then what is what happens? There's the ten plagues of Egypt, right? And there's, there's flies, and there's frogs, and there's hail from the sky and there's there's you know the water turns into blood go for, it's like it's wild you guys all these things happen and, and then the last plague, uh, Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, Listen, if you don't let us go, the Lord is going to kill all the firstborn males in all the land of Egypt. And, and Pharaoh doesn't believe him. And then Moses goes back to the people of Israel and says, Listen, here's what we're going to do. Here's what the Lord told us to do. Actually foreshadowing the coming of Jesus uh, hundreds of years later. He says, We're going to go find a spotless, unblemished lamb. And we're going we're to uh, sacrifice that lamb. And we're going to take the lamb's blood. And we're going to put it over the doorpost. And as the angel of death comes and this is what happened the angel of death would pass over those homes where he saw the blood of the lamb it's beautiful, right? And so they're, they're hearing the reports of all these people throughout Egypt dying, but they are not affected because of the blood of the Lamb. And then Moses, or rather Pharaoh says to Moses, get the people, get out, I'm tired of you, go on. And so they, they begin to go. And it's really cool. If you go read the story, you'll see that the people of Egypt actually loved the people of Israel and started like giving them all their gold and all their clothes and like blessed them like abundantly as they were leaving. And then, and, and then they're walking. Out and they have this pillar of cloud during the daytime that that covers them and shades all the heat from the sun from them and leads them where to go. And when the sun goes down, there's a big old pillar of fire in the in the sky that gives them warmth and light and leads them at nighttime. And as they approach the Red Sea, they look back and they see the armies of Pharaoh, who essentially said, "If I can't have them, if they won't be my slaves, then they then they won't be able to live for the Lord either." And so he's determined he's going to kill them. And again, they go to Moses saying, Moses, what have you done? Why'd you, why'd you take us, man? We were fine there. We were just slaves. Not a big deal. We could have, you know, it would have been better for us to die as slaves than to die here. At, 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 you know, in this situation, and, and Moses goes to the Lord, and the Lord says, go and hold up your staff. And if you've seen the Ten Commandments moving with Charlton and you know it right. Like He does this, you know, staff thing, and, and then the and then the flow of the Red Sea just stops in place, and the Bible says it's really specific That the people of Israel were able to walk through the Red Sea on dry ground. Like if you ever walked in mud with your shoes and like as you're walking, like it gets stuck in the mud and you pull and then your shoe is left there and you're just walking barefoot the rest of the way. Right, Like that would have been super annoying, right? It didn't happen to them, right? The ground was dry. And so they get to the other side and and, and the Lord releases the waters of the Red Sea and it destroys the, the military force of Egypt in just one moment. And God has provided victory for them. And literally one month later, they walked out on their front doorstep and food was laying on the ground for them. And now they're saying, what if God does not provide for me? Listen, miracles don't build faith. His word builds faith. If God gives you a miracle, the only thing that will, the only thing that has to happen for you to stop believing that He'll do it again is just time. 30 days after their exodus, 24 hours after food rained down from the sky for them. Their faith is already challenged. I'm going to say this again. Miracles don't build faith. His word builds faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. They said, what if God doesn't do it again? Can I tell you today, you might be facing some new challenges in your life right now, but you are still loved and supported by the same God who got you here and who will get you through this. That the one who started this good work in you is faithful to see it through to completion. Fear is the language of hell that says God is not able. Faith is the language of heaven that says my God will supply all my needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Not my riches, but his riches in Christ. Come on, can we give the Lord praise one more time? I want to read a good portion of Scripture here. I want to encourage you. I know uh, my time is almost out, at least according to the countdown, but you know what that means. Um, But I want to encourage you to lean in as I read the Bible. I think it's really easy for us to kind of tune out when we read Scripture in church, but there's nothing that I can say that's even close to the level of importance as the scriptures itself. So I want you to lean in. Verse 22: On the sixth day, they gather twice as much as usual, four quarts for each person instead of two. Pastor Drew, I thought you just said that they only gather what they need. Hang on, we're not there yet. Hold on. It says: Then all of the leaders of the community came and asked Moses for an explanation. Hey, they were just as curious as you are. Moses, why'd you tell us to go gather twice as much? He told them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow will be a day of complete rest, a holy Sabbath day set apart for the Lord. And remember, rest is not normal, normal for these people. They have been slaves for 400 years. They didn't get days off. They didn't get Sundays off. They didn't get Saturdays off. They didn't get a weekend. And They, did, they didn't work nine to five either. They worked until they stopped whipping them on their backs, right? They, they worked until their taskmaster said they could be done. For them, their worth was only measured by what they could produce. And there's a lot of people, probably even in this room right now, you still believe that. Can I tell you, from the heart of a pastor, that's a slave's mentality. We're not slaves, we're sons and daughters. Anyway. He said, so bake or boil as much as you want today and set aside what's left for tomorrow. They put some aside until morning, just as Moses had commanded And in the morning, the leftover food was wholesome and good without maggots or odor. This time, they did the exact same thing, but they did it in obeying His Word, not in disobeying His Word, and they got a good result. Verse 25, Moses said, Eat this food today, for today is a Sabbath day dedicated to the Lord. There will be no food on the ground today. You may gather the food for six days, but the seventh is a Sabbath. There will be no food on the ground that day. Verse 27, some of the people went out anyway. Like, do you ever read this stuff and go, what is wrong with these people? Just fair warning here. What you really should do is go stand in front of the mirror and go, what is wrong with this person? That's because we do the same kind of stuff, right? Right. Some of these people went out anyway on the seventh day, but they found no food. Verse 28, the Lord asked Moses, how long will these people refuse to obey my commands and instructions? And this is why we struggle with it. It's because we forget that his commands and instructions are actually for our good and for our benefit. He said they must realize that the Sabbath is the Lord's gift to you. Remember, this is before the Ten Commandments are given. This is Exodus 16. We're not, we're not introduced to the Ten Commandments until Exodus 20. So before it is a command, it was a gift. And I think possibly the only reason the Lord made it was a command is because people were still refusing to do what He had said do. Yeah. Yeah. The Sabbath is the Lord's gift to you. That's why He gives you a two-day supply on the sixth day so there will be enough for two days. On the Sabbath day, you must... Each stay in your place. Don't go out to pick up food on the seventh day, so the people did not gather any food on the Sabbath, on the seventh day. Maybe today you're sitting here and you're, you're worried about the future, worried about retirement, worried about your children, worried about money, worried about health, worried about a marriage. Let me say this: God's God's provision does not replace your wisdom. So so let me even say it like this. The Lord did not necessarily give them more food on the sixth day. He told them to gather twice as much food. So they, they prepared for Sabbath by doing the work that they would have done on the Sabbath by doing in advance. You know what we call that? Wisdom. We, we could even use the phrase pre-planning. So, so God's, God's provision doesn't replace our wisdom. We are still called to, to save money, to prepare for the future, to do the things that we know that we should do. Uh, to, to not do those things and to just say that the Lord will provide, that is not scriptural at all. That's, that's, that's foolishness. God's provision doesn't replace my wisdom, but God's provision does replace my worry. God's provision does replace my worry. I'm going to do what I can do. I'm going to go out. I'm going to gather twice as much. I'm going to be obedient to His word. I'm going to. I'm going to tithe. I'm going to save. You know, I'm going to take care of my body. I'm going to. I'm going to invest time into my marriage. I'm going to read His word. I'm going to spend time in His presence. I'm going to. I'm going to invest in my relationships with my children. I'm going whatever whatever it may be. I'm going to be a good employee. Come on, I think Christian men and women should be the best employees in the world, right? I I mean, I think if you're an employer, even if you don't love Jesus, you should be looking for people who do, because they know that everything is worship under the Lord, even the job that they do for somebody who doesn't love Jesus. So whatever your job is, let me just tell you, if it is under the Lord, it's worship, and it's holy, right? Now, God's provision doesn't replace my wisdom, but it does replace my worry. Jesus says this, don't worry about tomorrow. Matthew six don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Paul echoes this in Philippians 4, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Can I just be honest with you? I think too often we do the exact opposite of that, right? We don't pray about anything and then we worry about everything. Come on, I've been guilty of that. I've been guilty so much to the point where I have been talking to another person about it. And they look at me and they go, well, have you prayed about it? And I go, well, well, no. Mind your own business, (laughs) right? Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Because God's provision, it doesn't replace my need for wisdom, to make smart choices, to do the work that I know I need to do to prepare for the future as best I can. But it does replace my worry because I am assured from his word that when I will do what I can do, he will make up the difference. He will stand in the gap. He will make up the lack and he will do what I can't do. So we go back to John chapter six. Jesus said, I'll tell you the truth. Moses Didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. He didn't give you manna. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. Or the the true manna in the wilderness. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to this world. Sir, they said, give us this bread every day. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So, so today... As you sit where you are, maybe you are facing some I don't know situations that are far more serious than what are you going to have for lunch later today, right? Uh, far more serious than what are you going to wear to church on Sunday. Maybe today you're pace, you're facing some I don't know situations about some debt that you need to pay off, or about a job that you either need to get or need to know how to do better. Or maybe maybe you're raising children in this world today, and you're saying I don't know how to do this. Maybe maybe your marriage is in trouble today, and you're saying I I don't know how to. I don't know how to restore this situation with my spouse. I don't know how to to overcome this trial that we're facing in my family. I I don't know how to overcome this depression that seems to grip me so hard and will not let me go. Listen, I want to tell you, you've heard this before, but I want to apply it to your life today. It is not what you know. It is who you know. And you know Him. And you can know Him. And He is not just your provider. He is the provision. He he doesn't just have what you need. He is what you need. Because I'm not chasing his hand, I'm seeking his face. He is the manna in the wilderness. Whatever wilderness you are walking through, He's there. Last Sunday, I got this testimony. I want to read it to you. Again, I'm going to read for a little bit. The temptation may be to kind of get distracted, but I really encourage you to press in and just hang with me just for a few more minutes, okay? Okay. Hey, Drew, first off, I want to say how thankful I am for you and your family and our church. Next, I want you to know that I've been dealing with severe anxiety as well. as pretty unbearable anger and depression since I was a child. I've tried multiple drugs, including being a borderline alcoholic in parts of my life just to cope with life. I've been put on multiple medications, including mood stabilizers and antidepressants. I've seen counselors, both Christian and secular, and none of this has helped me in the long term. This week has been especially bad for me, and I couldn't pinpoint why. My anger and anxiety have been through the roof, and I've taken it out on everyone around me. I've asked God to take this away from me multiple times and thought that he did not want to help and that this was punishment for all the wrong I've done in my past. This morning, it started again. But I pushed through to come to church because I know my son needs it. My wife was in the nursery and I was in the back all alone. During worship, I started to cry like I do during worship most of the time. But today was different something told me to go up front and get on my hands and knees and just cry out to God but I did not listen I told myself if he wants me to give this to him again for the millionth time someone will have to come get me I sat down in defeat again as I was crying and then I heard Jesus audibly but it was not a voice out of the air or in my head. He said, I heard Jesus through dawn today. It wasn't dawn, though I was for sure it was Jesus. And he said, if you were dealing with anxiety, be bold and come to the altar. I couldn't get there fast enough. This time, I didn't have my wife or anyone there to lean on with my issues, it was just me and Jesus I couldn't breathe I could barely talk and all I could say was oh dear God please take this over and over and over again I said that then I noticed that there were hands on me I don't know who they were it felt like every person in the church had their hand on me and Jesus healed my mind some were speaking in tongues some were speaking in normal English But it felt like all my fear, anxiety, and anger started to leave. I got back up, went to my seat, and felt higher than any drug has ever made me feel. It wasn't like a salvation issue. It was like I needed to be delivered from all this stuff I've been dealing with since I was a little boy. He said, I look forward to seeing what God has in store for our church and my family. Going forward, have a great Sunday afternoon. God bless you and your family. Come on, can we praise the Lord? Today I want to invite you to stand. You may not not know what. You may not know why. You may not know how. You may not know when. You may not know what you're going to do. You may not know how you're going to make it. You may not know why it's happening. You may not know when it's going to be over. But you do know Who? And if you don't know him, you can know him. You can know the one who will walk with you through the battle, through the storm, through the wilderness. And listen, my friend, I'm not telling you it'll be easy, but I'm telling you, you will make it. As long as you have him, you have everything you need because he is not your provider. He is your provision. He he is, listen, we sing the song Waymaker, and it's great, but listen, he ain't the Waymaker. My friend, He is the way. He is the truth. And He is the life. So today, you need the Lord. You need some, you need some of that bread, right? You need that bread of life because you're walking around in the wilderness right now of, of questions that you can't answer. And you're saying, Lord, I need you. I need you. I don't, I don't need your hand today. I need your face. I don't need what you can do for me. I just need you. No heads bowed today, no eyes closed, no arm And Listen, if you need the Lord to move on your behalf in a powerful way, I want to invite you right now to step out from where you are and come to this altar. We're going to take some time this morning. I hope those of you who don't come will, will hang with us. I hope you won't leave. We're going to have a baptism here in a moment, and it's going to be beautiful. But this is beautiful as well. So today, if you need the Lord to move in your life, I want to invite you to move from wherever you are right now and come to this altar. You can come over here. You can come over here. We're going to pray for you. We're going to believe God for you. We're going to go to the Lord on your behalf.